This is Deep Blue, where we get the true life stories of BYU athletes, coaches, and fans. Here's your host, Jerem Jordan. On today's show, I talked with one of the best post players in BYU men's basketball history. As a young sideline reporter, I watched him and the Cougars take down number six Louisville in Las Vegas, which was part of an incredible career as the Cougars rebounded from a team that had a losing record to winning Mountain West Conference championships. He toured the world playing professionally in, ready for this, Italy, Croatia, Lithuania, Ukraine, Turkey, France, Germany, and Japan. Wow. He is Trent Playstead. Trent, what's up, bro? Hey, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's been a minute, uh, and we were in school at the same time. Yeah, I didn't. I actually didn't. I knew that you were around at the same time. Then I saw your tweet yesterday with that orange tie, <laughs> and I, I just hope I was nice to you. And we were in school together. As a matter, that's my only, that's my only hope. You were super nice to me, and that orange tie was part of a video from True Blue. It used to be a weekly show we did. That's right. Now we have BYU Sports Nation. We killed True Blue because we're like. Well, we have a daily no, show. We don't need a weekly now. show. Yeah, you're a big time. Um, yeah, but Holly Rowe was the host, which is pretty cool. She's big yeah. time. And uh, you guys had just beaten Louisville and, and lost a close one in North Carolina. That was, a, that was a fun weekend in Vegas. Yeah, I remember that weekend actually really, really well. That was a fun weekend. That was a, a pretty big, big time weekend for BYU basketball where we kind of got launched onto the scene. I, I, one of the things I remember, though, is we beat Louisville and lost North Carolina and I remember I was so angry because we lost North Carolina and everybody was congratulating me. And I was like, what the heck? We just lost. Why is everybody, you know, but that just goes to show that there's, you know, like different expectations for different people. So I remember talking to Coach Rose about like, why is everybody saying that we did so amazing? We just lost North Carolina. And it's like, yeah, it's kind of weird how that is, isn't it? So I remember that very well. So that let, let's we'll start there and then we'll, we'll dig in more. But so BYTV actually got that game. We would not get that game now. Like right. we got that game somehow. Our graphics look so bad. Like <laughs> if you go back, yeah. it, we've come a long way. You guys upset, you know, Rick Pitino and number six Louisville, and and that starts sort of, you know, th- this this group in '07. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in '06 '07 was really good too. But you guys are you guys are climbing out with Dave Rose of Steve Cleveland did some awesome things. It started to spin a little bit. He's let go. Dave Rose takes over, and this is your what redshirt freshman year. You kind of go with Dave, right? Yeah. Your last, your first year is with Steve. You get hurt. Yeah. So my first year was Coach Cleveland. Um, that team went nine and twenty-one. Mm-hmm. I was on a medical red shirt. I remember we went to the Maui Invitational at the beginning of that year, and we actually played North Carolina, who was the eventual national champion that year. They had Sean May, Raymond Felton, Rashad McCants. And I, I want to be real clear. I love Terry Nashif. He is my guy, but he couldn't bring the ball past half court because they were pressing us the whole. And it was, we just got, you know, I don't know what the right, you know, mollywopped or whatever you want to call it. And, and we just got destroyed. And uh, that kind of set the tone for the whole year. It was not, not a great year. I uh, went 9 21. Coach Cleveland uh, decides he wants to go elsewhere. He went to Fresno State, and, and Coach Rose was the guy. And I was kind of deciding what I wanted to do. You know, like, because I, I could have gone to some other really big programs. I came to BYU, and I just remember meeting with Coach Rose, and he said, hey, Trent, like, you're going to be my guy. Um, like, you're going to be one of my main guys. And then that next year, it was it was me and, and Lee Kamard, and I was the, you know, burst onto the scene as a freshman and blah, 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 whatever, you know, whatever you want to take that with but uh, yeah that was a that was a fun year and then the next year we went 20 and 9 and basically flipped the script of what BYU basketball was uh 
and then that kind of launched the rest of it to where I mean I don't want to take credit for it everything because there's a lot of people that are involved in that but that was the yeah kind of turned things around from where where it was like a really down kind of downtrodden year to Coach Rose, who really just kind of changed the narrative on BYU basketball to where into where it is now, which is is pretty amazing. Basically, what you were about to say was, "I'm responsible yeah. for Jimmer." <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, that's why I wanted to steer clear of that. Like I didn't, like I don't want to take credit, but we we there, there was a foundation that was laid. That I was no, very, for sure. I was very fortunate to be a part of, and I feel very you know privileged about that. So, so yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool experience. If BYU stinks, Jimmer might not come here. You know what I mean? If BYU's nine and twenty for a couple of years, yeah. you got to be in a position where it's enticing. Granted, he came to some camps growing up here. There's some BYU sports camps video trend of yeah. commercials where yeah. like twelve year old Jimmer, chubby Jimmer, oh, is yeah. making shots. Right? I, I remember that. And just say so you no, know, Jimmer would have come here because at the time, <laughs> Jimmer was not recruited by anybody. You know, it, it was like it, Sienna. Yeah, it wasn't was like it, yeah. you know, like I, I don't. Yeah. Jimmer is the you know probably the best BYU basketball player of all time. Him and Danny Ainge. So I don't want like I love the guy and he he and I are, are friends so I don't want to disrespect him but he would have come to BYU anyways because BYU oh, he would have anyway the, well I, I don't know that but BYU is the best program I can't speak for him on that but I just know BYU is probably the best program that was recruiting him yeah which is stupid because obviously he's very talented because I remember him at those camps he had these ankle braces these bright orange shoes because he's like a Syracuse basketball fan and. Just this chubby kid. I remember the first day on campus, he did this 12-minute run and couldn't make it because of the altitude. And so, as a freshman, as a freshman, you know, what I mean, <laughs> but uh, and he'll he'll laugh about it now. But it was just really funny because like that was a, a, a you know now Jimmer's Jimmer, yes. you know, what I mean, and he's you know walks on water or whatever he does, which is great. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was an interesting time to, to think about that 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 memory of Jimmer before before he was yes. The Jimmer that we all know. Yes. Right. Okay, we'll get into more of that later. That's great. I've never heard that. That's amazing. Okay, so you have the freshman year where you're Mountain West Conference freshman of the year. It's Dave's first year, 20-9, and nine, back to the tourney. Was that Xavier? No, we, that- we went to the NIT that year. Oh, we that lost, was NIT. We, we lost to Houston. Yeah. Yes, okay, okay. So this sets up the next year. But you're building. You're like, whoa, we went right. from 9-21 and 21 to 20-9. and nine. This is awesome. Yeah. Dave's the guy. Here's the beginning. This weekend sort of catapulted you guys into a space where the nation recognized, and I don't know if maybe the team, it was like validated in some moment what you had worked hard for. Beating number six Louisville was a big freaking deal. And I had this goofy grin on my face interviewing Dave after the game. We all did, right? Then you play North Carolina, and like you said, you were disappointed. In fact, on True Blue the next week, I do this interview, we air it, and you said the same thing. I watched it last night. You said, I don't know why people were high-fiving me. We just lost the game. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't remember that, so I'm glad I brought that up. There At least was, I'm consistent. There you know? was some moral victory to that yeah. of competing, right, with North Carolina. It was like, hey, look what we just did in Vegas. So what did that weekend mean, and what do you remember of beating Louisville and hanging with number one North Carolina? Well, I, I remember playing in it. I remember playing against Louisville, and I just remember how talented they, talented they were. I mean, they had some guys. They had you know Terrence Williams, Earl Clark. They had a guy named Derek Character, uh, David Padgett, who wasn't playing at the time. And like, if you like, I always look at things in retrospect to some degree. At the mm-hmm. time, I thought we were every bit as talented as they were. There's no way in heck we were anywhere close <laughs> to as talented as they were. As I look at kind of their roster compared to ours, you know, we had accountants and they had pros. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, and so we went and we competed. We just played hard. I remember, I, you know, I had a really good game that game. And I just, I, there's certain aspects I remember, you know, Earl Clark, who was, I think, like the top five draft pick, you know, that year or the year after. I remember Rick Patino because we were competing and we were beating him and we shouldn't, you know, by all accounts, we shouldn't have been. 
And I remember Rick Pitino basically yelling at Earl Clark, Earl! You know, he said a few choice words to him. Basically, get over here. If you don't freaking play, you're going to sit on this bench the rest of the There's a lot more choice words than that. But uh, <laughs> and I just remember like, wow, we've got these guys on the ropes. You know what I mean? And I remember and I remember winning. And I remember like how polite their fans were. Because like these are blue blood programs. And I remember like we won. And, like I was walking to the press conference because I was fortunate to have a good game. And Everybody was just like, oh, congratulations on a wonderful game, Trent. Like, these are Louisville fans. Like, man, you guys are so nice. You know mm. what I mean? Like, they handed you a Louisville yeah, slugger well, bat. And, and like, yeah, what? I was like, and I, think it was, <laughs> I think it was in large part because they, they're always there. Like, they could appreciate when somebody, you know, played well. And so huh. I remember that. I remember playing North Carolina the next day. Um, or the, not maybe not the next day, but uh, it was the next I day. I think it was the next day. It was a day. Friday night and then a Saturday night because BYU TV. We were expecting to do BYU Old Dominion. Like, if BYU lost to Louisville, right. we would do the Old Dominion game. Well, you guys win, so we go home. So I come back and watch the 07 BYU-Utah football game, Yeah, which is, you know, fourth and 18 in Harvey Ungan. We didn't miss the football game thanks to the win, so I want to thank you for that. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> and, like, I remember playing North Carolina and going toe-to-toe, and we were right there until the very end. And, and like, that weekend was when, you know, Dick Vitale, for me personally, made some call that Trent Place was the best – something or other that oh! nobody heard yeah, of. Yeah, he was you know freaking I mean? out. Freaking out. And it like that that weekend I you know I should have shut it down right after that cuz if I would have <laughs> if I would have shut it down I would have been drafted in the first round right after that weekend. But uh, <laughs> but no, it was it was pretty incredible to play those teams and just the the history that goes with teams like that and to be on that stage with them was fun. And we honestly like our roster like I I don't mean this negatively towards anybody on our team, but like there's no reason we we should have competed with a program like that, other than the fact that we were such a great team in the sense of like we were cohesive, we were mm-hmm. we played really well together, which is what I really love about the teams I played on at BYU. Was there's a lot more talented teams than when I played, but I, I thought our teams were some of the best actual teams there ever were. And this was fun because this is uh, you know this is the fall of '07, the net. Uh, is it the next year Jim Fredette, I think, comes in, or is he a freshman on the bench there? I'm trying to remember. I think he was a freshman on the bench there. No, he was a freshman on the bench my junior year, so that yes, would have been the, the next, next year. year. That yes. would have been the next year. Yes. Yeah. So that was fun, and it's considered one of the greatest losses in BYU history. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> losing to North Carolina, and that was Tyler Hansbro, and that was – I mean, was, that was good, yeah. dude. That was Ty Lawson. I don't think Ty Lawson was even playing that game, though. It was Tyler Hansborough. I think Danny Green was on that team. Mm, still Wayne, going in the end. Wayne Ellington, I think, was on that team. Loaded. But, yeah, like me and Tyler Hansborough went toe-to-toe. That was that would have been my best game as a Cougar, honestly, if I think about it. Like, it was, yeah, it was pretty good. 20, let's see, I have it, 24 and 17 against the number one team in the country. Yeah, that was pretty good. That was a pretty good game, for sure. All right, Trent, thanks for coming in. No, just yeah, kidding. that's right. Okay, so that catapults you guys into this awesome year where you get back to the NCAA tournament. Is that Xavier in yeah, Louisville? We, we no, not Louisville. Kentucky. In, yeah, at Kentucky. At Rupp Arena. That's pretty know, cool. Hollow ground, right? We played Xavier, who uh, it was like an 8-9 game, which was those games are always so so crazy. And, uh, man, that Xavier team, that was a good team. And we lost. And uh, that was that was really sad because like we were wanting to be the team that broke the the BYU curse of going to the tournament and not winning a game. I never did that, unfortunately. So that was not really my thing. But we won the Mountain West Conference. I, I think like by a pretty good, wide margin, if I remember. I think we were like fourteen and two or yeah. something in yep. our conference. Yep. 
and that was back in the heydays of it all when like you know like you know you played in the pit you played you know at san diego state like those are some like that was a really good conference back then so Played played Xavier, lost in the first round, which was sad. But uh, overall, it was, a, it was a pretty rewarding year. I think Coach Rose won his like second coach of the year right in a row because the first year they had to give it to him because he went from nine and twenty one to twenty nine. It's a lot of times most improved award. Yeah, not best coach. And then the next yes. year, it was like we just we destroyed everybody. So it was like okay, you get like he got it like the yep. first three years in a row or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then he probably should have got it other years that he didn't because of the same situation for other people. But yeah, it was that was a that was a fun time in BYU basketball, kind of flipping the flipping the narrative of what we were. Okay, so then your junior year, um, you you continue to have a tremendous season, and you guys uh, go what twenty. 25 and 9. Yeah. Uh, sorry, that, that sophomore year. Uh, and then your junior year, what, 27 and 8? Do I have that right? Yeah, freak, I don't know. The you get ranked, you're at 8th seed. I mean, it's it's pretty special to like climb out of the doldrums there and get back to that point. And then kind of Jim Romania happens, right? And then we, we continue this with Dave, and, and then Mark Pope has kind of maintained it. I want to get to a, a unique point there in a sec, but what was that whole experience like of kind of doing this with Dave as one of his guys early on with a group that did have some talented guys, but like you said, there's some international pros there. Yeah. Like, there's no like, you don't have like three NBA guys on the floor, but you guys are making the tourney winning conference titles. Yeah. I mean, like the from a pro perspective, like I, I say this, I try to say this humbly, but I was the best pro, right? I was the best prospect of, of that group. Uh, until obviously Jimmer came on the scene, um, but it was it was me, Coach Rose, and, and Lee. You know Lee, who's you know I consider to be one of my best friends, if not my best friend, other than my wife. You know that uh, were kind of the the core element there uh, of the that early years for Coach Rose, and uh, that's a lot of fun. I mean, I I don't know necessarily how to describe it other than like. Because I was in the moment, right? I didn't. I didn't even think that I was doing anything that was, you know, revolutionary. I didn't. I didn't. You know, I was. What well, I was. I was. I'm still not the smartest guy, but I definitely wasn't the smartest guy then. I just. Thought, I. I thought that this is just what we did. Like we won, and that uh, we were always going to do. That's what I was. That's what I was born to do, and we, we won. That was it. And Coach Rose, to his credit, I think he's the reason why we thought that. It was just like, listen, here we win. And when he came in, he established this culture of like. Um, number one, we were going to work for everything we had. So I remember our practices, like they weren't super long, but man, we would just, we would go to war. I remember we lost our, my first game, my freshman year to, I think it was Loyola Marymount and we gave up like 17 offensive rebounds and we came in the next day and we ran, you ever heard like 16s or 17s, which is like this horrible conditioning drill. Like we did at the beginning of every practice because you know, like Coach Rose was not having any of that nonsense. So, <laughs> Little did you know that's yeah. <laughs> WCC team yeah. for BYU. And that was back when that, you know Coach Rose had this. You know, like, he always had a fire, but that, that especially for a first-time head coach, he was pretty. And so we would just work, 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 work. And so that's all I ever knew. And so it was just a lot of fun to be a part of. Like I give Coach Rose so much credit for just what he did, the turnaround that he orchestrated with a roster. Like, like I said, like I, I do not mean to diminish anybody on our team because I loved our team. I thought we were very good, but like if you were to, you know, look back on it now and compare the roster we had to other teams that we were beating and beating by a large margin, uh, we, we didn't have the talent that they did. So what could you attribute that to of why we were so good? It was because we played really well together. We had a good system 
and we freaking worked hard is what it, what it amounted to. Okay, take me back to the TCU comeback. Is that your fresh redshirt freshman year? Yeah, that was my redshirt freshman it was, year. You were down like nine with a minute left or something? Yeah, that was kind of my guy Lee's a little bit of a coming out party, right? Because at that time, I was a redshirt freshman. You know, I remember coming out and, you know, I was kind of the anointed one at the time of like, you know, I remember coming out and people yelling, it's the golden child and stuff like that at BYU games, which is weird, whatever. <laughs> but I, I remember it. You're like, me? You know what I mean? And so I, I was having a good freshman year and Lee you know, was, you know, me and him were the same class and he was a really highly touted guy for, for BYU at the time. But, you know, it's a hard transition because he was coming off, off his mission and it's hard to kind of adjust to the college game. I had the, you know, the benefit of kind of being there for a year before I kind of did my thing. And he was wanting to, you know, Lee's a very, at the time, I love the guy. He, like I said, he's my, my best friend, just cocky, competitive, you know, I mean, he he wanted to play and he wasn't because you know his his body was pretty weak and he's just figuring things out. Uh, he gets in it in the TCU game. He hits that huge three to to tie. I thought I felt like that was Lee's really kind of time where he started to emerge into who he was going to become, which was pretty cool. So that was a wild, wild game. Like I said, like I just I was just playing and like all of a sudden we were back. Like it was like this isn't going to work out. And then. We, it was just the most incredible thing that ever took place from a – it was almost like that whole – I don't want to compare it to the Chiefs' bills. That's a little bit <laughs> a little bit crazy. But it was <laughs> – But it, it was wild. It was it, like it was a eight wild, or nine with a minute left. Yeah, it was a wild comeback where Rashawn Bros hit a big three. Lee hit a big three to tie it. Then he went into overtime, and at that point, you knew we weren't going to lose because we were – you know, TCU was like, oh, crap, what, what's going on? So – but that was a that was a huge game for us that year. Like, it was a real kind of a pivotal moment, I think, in just what what we were going to become, honestly. So that was that was pretty wild. What other games or memories do you have at BYU that stick out? Oh gosh, I remember the games. I remember so many things. A, a lot of them are games. Some of them are just you know funny stories of like you know the locker room stuff that that comes out like. Some of the some of my favorite games were I remember playing Air Force at home and they were at the time like the number nine team in the country and they were legit. They were really good and just the atmosphere. I remember Chosich jersey retirement, which I think may have been that game. And like like just the Marriott Center at that time, like the, the Marriott Center to them was awesome. It's it's beautiful now with the seats, but at that time they had the student section like right across from us with the benches that would go all the way up to the I miss it to the sky. I, I do too, and like it sat like twenty three thousand people, and like mm-hmm. I just remember those big games where like that place would get full with like you know you know twenty two or I think it was like twenty two thousand seven hundred. Yes, now it's nineteen. You know Something. what I mean? Yeah. And, like, it was just incredible. Like, you could not hear yourself think almost. And another thing that I remember that is not actually talked about is when I came to BYU, I mentioned that we lost my first game my freshman year. I never lost another game my entire career at the, at Marriott, the, Marriott, at Center. the Marriott Center. Oh, my gosh. It got to, like, 50 or something, And didn't so, it? like, uh, yeah, it, 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 they lost the year after I left, so obviously it was all me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, they lost. I think they got it got broken because they got Wake Forest to come in here. Yes, the year after I left, and that was a lost, huge that, game. That's what broke it. They were number six. Yeah, yeah. You're like I already beat number six. Yeah, that's right. But no, I, I never lost another game in the Marriott Center that entire time. And the more I think about that, like that's incredible. It is. Like we like it. They got to a point where I was. We were at home. It was like we just 
we weren't going to lose at the Marriott Center. And like, and I hope they could do that again because the Marriott Center was a really big, big home court advantage for us. And so that was, that was a pretty wild run of, of consecutive wins at home. Cause we played some really, you know, we brought in a lot of good teams that we played at the Marriott Center. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Mark Pope's only lost, I think three or four games really uh, as of this recording. Cool. So yeah, not, not too bad. Okay. So you win a couple conference championships. Uh, you know, you have this amazing BYU career. And then after your junior year, you've been at BYU four years. You're a Richard junior. Yeah. You make the decision to go to the NBA draft. You want, you're, I think, maybe the second player in BYU history, Sean Bradley and you, to go early, I think. Yeah. Maybe there was someone else. What went into that decision, and how do you look back on it uh, 13 years later? Or 14 now? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and a lot went into it. Um, the the biggest thing for me is like I was very aware of the history of the draft, um, and at that time, it was pretty evident that seniors did not get drafted. And it probably still is the case today, where you know if you're a senior, like you can get drafted high, but your odds are actually a lot less. And so I just had a good year. Um, there's there's other elements too, but like. I, I look back on it. The other thing is, is I don't necessarily know if I should even bring this up because it, it may not be the best thing, but like there was a situation I had at BYU where I was married at the time and uh, my wife had gotten this cited for a DUI because she had torn her ACL uh, at work and she had taken pain medication and uh, and she drove and they pulled her over and then she got put into the media and... Mm. And all this other things. I'm recalling this now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that was something that, like, at the time, like, it wasn't what led to the decision, but it was a, a factor. Like, it wasn't the main thing. I was going to go anyways. But, like, I was pretty I was pretty upset about the way that that was handled. Just mm. by, you know, no hard feelings now. It is what it is. But, like, the fact, like, if it was me who that happened to and they put my face in the picture or whatever else, I could care less. You know what I mean? Like, that's just what comes with the territory. But when you start putting, like, people's family and stuff because she was connected to me, like, on the news and in the newspaper and all these other things, like, that that kind of didn't sit well with me. And it wasn't, it wasn't BYU's fault. It was just more of the the surrounding community of, of it all. And, like, people would come up to us and ask us questions about, like, are you okay? It was like, well, she was never not okay. You know what I mean? And so – I had a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth for that, but that wasn't the main thing. I was going to go anyways. Did that push you over the edge, perhaps? That that was one of the things that kind of I was. It didn't sit well with me. But the the main thing was, if we're being truthfully honest, I had been at BYU for four years, and I was based. I was done with school. And, and you like, graduated, or you were? Close? Yeah, I had one class left, and so I was done with school. And I was like, okay, if you think about this rationally, I could go at worst, you know, go make hundreds of thousands of dollars playing in Europe, or I could come back for my senior year where seniors don't really get that much extra love. And I, I you know, I kind of had a conversation with coach Rose, like, what do we expect out of next year? And it was, you know, in large part going to be the same thing, you know, which is fine. We were really successful. So like, why would I not, it, it just got to a point where it was like, logically I'm, you go to school to get a degree. I had done that. I had accomplished what I wanted to accomplish from a basketball perspective. I knew I was going to get drafted. I didn't know where, but I knew I was going to get drafted. Somewhere. And it was like, it's time for me to, you go to college to make money, to have a job. This is going to be my job. Like, let's, let's go. Yeah. And so that, and that was the main reason why. And then you add in the other factors of why I was a little bit, you know, 
miffed about certain things, which is not, I, I have no ill feelings towards BYU. It just like the, just the whole parameters around it was why, what led me to the decision. So, and do I regret? No, I don't, I don't at all. I, I mean, I love the life I've lived. I've, it's, you know, made me who I am. So like I, I, the only thing that I guess would even be a close to a regret is the fact that they played Wake Forest at home the next year. And <laughs> that would have been a cool game to be a part of, but like, there's a lot that came about because of that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not claiming credit for it, but, like, think about that. I left, and then that year it was Lee, who was my best buddy, who, who was, like, the their best player, him and Jimmer. So Jimmer kind of filled the void Sophomore that I Jimmer. had. Yep. Right? And so, like, there's a lot of good things that, you know, who knows what would have happened. But, no, I, I don't regret all that. But that's what led to the, the choice. I want to follow up on something you mentioned. So they they – Cite your wife for a DUI from pain medication? Yeah. How, well, how what, did that work? Well, which is which makes sense if you think about it. Like, you shouldn't be driving. Like, even on the pill bottles, they say you shouldn't drive while taking this medication, right? Like, theoretically, you're if not you're in taking, a state yeah. to function and that so, way. Okay. And so, like, I get I get the reason why it happened. Um, she shouldn't have been driving. And that's our mistake, my mistake, her mistake. She was actually, like, a mile away from our house when it happened. And so they cited her for it, arrested her, took her to took her to jail, right? Which you know, then they did a mugshot of her, and then that mugshot ended up in the newspapers all around, all around you know Utah. It ended up on the news that like, and like I said, to some degree, if that was me who they had cited, absolutely, like I understand why they would do that. But like I just it would, it made me a little bit upset that be like she hadn't like she was not me, she was my wife. Right, and now we're putting a player's wife in the the newspaper on the news. Like, like, where do we draw the line? Like, that's like I'm, and not not only I'm not a professional player. I'm a I'm a college athlete, right? Like, and so that was a that was a really hard thing for for me to swallow. That I thought that was pretty low down by some of the the news outlets that did that and reported on it. And then they would follow up on it for you know, like she'd have court appearances and they'd be the reporter there to follow up on it. It's like. Really, this is the this is the story that we're gonna run with, you know what I mean? So, so yeah, it was it was not my favorite thing, um, and, and I, I still don't think that it was necessarily the right thing to do, but on their part. But it is what it is, and it's over now, and and that was unfortunate. But like like I said, crap happens, life moves on. It was I definitely learned a lot from it, um, and I wouldn't necessarily I'm thankful is somewhat of a strong term to say for that experience, but like. I learned a lot from that situation. So, but yeah, that, that was something that was factored in. It wasn't, it wasn't going to sway it one way or the other, but it was something like, okay, like I'm, I'm kind of over this. And it's interesting when a player leaves early, we've had this recently with Eric Mika and Elijah Bryant, where the player of course can make the decision that's in their best interest. Sure. And we have yet to have this one, by the way, a BYU player going to a bigger university as a transfer for one year. Right. It, will, it will happen at some point, and it'll be interesting to see how the fans deal with that. <clears throat> but there's this angle, too. It almost feels like the fans expect, and I'm guilty of this to some degree in the past as well, of, okay, well, then if you play in the NBA, then it validated the choice. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of funny and kind of not. Like, Eric Mika left, I think got a 10-day in the NBA. Elijah left, didn't play in the end, wasn't drafted but ends up coming back to the NBA from Israel, winning an NBA title last year sure. with the Bucks, which is insane. Sure. So happy for him. What was that process like of leaving early, but it sounds like you knew, 
okay, even if the NBA isn't the path, I'm still going to play, and this is my job, and I'm making money, and that's cool. Because the fans kind of want, I think, validate this to us. Yeah. But it's not their decision per se. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing that's so funny, right, is is first and foremost, like, in each of those situations, you know, Eric, Elijah, myself, every individual is going to make the choice that's best for them. Like, it's not on us to, to necessarily appease the fans, but you're right. Like, the fans have this misnomer, like, oh, I always love when, you know, the, there's this kind of narrative out there of, like, hey, oh, he's just going to go play Europe ball. Like, he's just, he's a real scrub. You know what I mean? Which... You know, I guess maybe there are some scrubs that play Europe ball, but I I know I know the contracts I had in Europe. I know the money I made in Europe. I know, you know, I have a general idea of where Elijah's play. I know where Eric Meek is playing. These guys are successful guys, right? Like, give, give us a, give us a sense of what their contracts <laughs> might be like, or what like where we are here. Yeah, so so the people understand. So if you're an average college student, you come out of college, you're making you're at a job, entry level position, you're making what? You know, even now in today's days, you're making fifty thousand dollars, sixty thousand dollars, maybe, if you got a solid job. Uh, I made well into six figures my first job. I know Eric Mika's made, and then as I progressed, I made multiple six figures. You know what I mean? And you didn't think about American heritage. And I, I know, right? <laughs> like, and I'm playing a game of basketball. And the other element to that is like there. I played for a team. They paid for my apartment. They paid for my car. They paid for my internet. They paid for my utilities, and they paid my taxes in that country. So the the amount I made was actually like a net amount. So like I would make that amount, and I would almost bring home every last dime of it because I was so cheap. I never spent any money on anything. So like, was it an NBA salary? No, uh, and and I don't want to make it you know allusions to it being that because um, NBA guys now make a ton. But it was, it was a, a a very good living, uh, way more than, you know, ninety eight or ninety nine percent of college students are ever going to have when they first leave, and so and that's the same with with each of those guys. You know, like, you know, Elijah played for teams. I played for really good teams. Elijah's played for even better teams than I have. So he he probably made made more than I am. So. Or my, I did. So like, like this is this is good living. These guys are making. It's not like that at every level of European basketball. There are, but the levels that we were at, it was. So, like, it's always kind of funny. Like, oh, this guy's a real loser. He played in Europe. It's like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a misnomer. I, I like, I, there's some great ball, right? Like yeah. Brandon Davies, and he's is and he's one of whole, the yeah. greatest BYU basketball players ever. I'm talking professional too. Yeah, just because he had a cup of coffee here and there with the Sixers, right? trust the process doesn't mean he's not successful he's, he's listen he's been unbelievable for fc Bar- or uh bc barcelona and, and brandon's in a situation i guarantee you he's making w- way more money with barcelona than he ever made with the sixers like way more yeah like not even close it, it's like the next best thing right yeah and, and so, like and yeah. you can live in like europe and we'll dive yeah. into like that experience is priceless and playing in the g league or even on a NBA team would never give you sort of the life experience of that either, right? Yeah, and that's the other thing is like you know the G League at the time when I was doing it, it's it's better now. Like, like the the alternative, like okay, well why don't you go do the G League and do the ten day thing? I, to me, that was never an option. Like I, I applaud Eric Mika for doing that and things of that nature because at the time when I was there, like the G League was paying like thirty k. Like I can make that in a month. You're like a minor league baseball player. You know, like, like making like beans. Yeah. If I if I played in Europe, I'm making that in a month. Why am I 
why would I ever come do that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. is you'll I, put up with living in another country yeah. and the challenges that that encounters culturally, language, but it's also an enriching experience to some degree, right? Sure. So yeah. like it was like I love like would it have been great to have a, a long NBA career and make millions beyond millions of dollars? Of course. I mean, that would be crazy to say it wouldn't be. But, like, I look at my experiences in Europe and, and really, like, my time at BYU was wonderful. I loved it. I appreciate it. It helped. It helped me a lot. But my time being in Europe and having that experience, that to me is what molded me into where I am, who I am now. Just because, like, I remember going to Europe and thinking, oh, I'm an American. We're the best basketball players in the world. We're, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to come crush this thing. And, like, just having that, like, kind of elitist American mentality. And uh, you just find out real quick that, like, there's a whole big world out there beyond, you know, what's in Provo, what's in what's even in the United States, right? Like, that people are good people everywhere. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just so, it's so wild. The experiences I've had that have kind of opened my eyes to like the global perspective of things. And I wouldn't trade that for, for just about any, anything. You know, it would take a lot of money for me to ever give up the experiences I had and what I learned just from, you know, the, the global experiences that I had, which is pretty cool. Okay. We'll dive into those in just a second. Okay. So 08 draft, you felt like you were going to get drafted. You just didn't know where. Yeah. You go second round. Did you feel like you were going to get drafted in the first round? And would that have changed anything with the NBA? For yeah. You? I mean, I, I, the, so at the time, and I, I believe it's still this way. So in the NBA, if you get drafted the first round at the time, and I don't follow it as much as I used to, you were guaranteed a two-year contract. Like, it was guaranteed. So if you were one of the first 30 picks, you had a guaranteed two-year deal. It was going to be a couple million dollars. You know, depending on if you're the first pick or the 30th pick, it would go down, just like – you know, every sports league. If you got drafted in the second round, um, it it was at the team's discretion if they wanted to sign you or not. Um, and and most people do get signed, but I got drafted. I, I guess technically I got drafted by the Sonics and then traded to the Pistons. But the Pistons were the one making the pick. And Joe Dumars was their GM at the time, and, and he called me that day. And said, "Hey, we're really excited to have you." Uh, and they had basically worked out a deal with my agent, who was Mark Bartlestein. They're like, hey, listen, our roster right now is a little bit full because they were coming off of those really good years where they went and they're kind of turning things over. Uh, go to Europe for a year, and we promise you you'll be signed on our roster the next year. And so we want you to go to a place that um, you're going to play a lot. It's a really good league. And so they got me a contract with a team in Italy, which I could have gone to better teams but they wanted me to go to an environment where I was going to be, you know, a really key component of of a of a team early on. And then I went to Italy, and um, unfortunately, and on that Italian team, it was a really good team. It was uh, Jonas Cherebko was a foreign guy on that team who's been in the NBA for you know a, a lot of years. Not not he's in, back in Russia now. James Gist who came back to the NBA for a little bit, played a lot of uh, really high level. Reese Gaines played at Louisville, was a, a like a lottery pick, but was in Europe at the time. And and myself and a guy named Joe Smith were our, our core players. Um, but then I played two games, and I had, I had a herniated disc in my back. And so because of that, I had to go and get surgery, and I basically missed that entire year. And, uh, you know, at that point, just the nature of sports, the nature of business, it was basically like, you know, the Pistons were 
they they didn't weren't mean to me or anything. But like, listen, this wasn't you know you, I lost, I had a hurt back, I was damaged goods. It wasn't gonna wasn't gonna work out. So so that's what kind of ruined that deal. So I I had planned on being in the NBA after that initial rookie year because that was what you know the conversation that we had had with uh, Joe Dumars. Um, but that kind of fell by the wayside because of the injury. So. So that didn't work out. The Pistons were great. They released my rights, which we asked them to do because they could technically hold my rights for forever. Um, and so that kind of made me, freed me up to go and do other things. But, uh, you know, that was disappointing uh, at the time because I was a young guy. I remember going to Italy thinking, I'm going to come here and crush it. And, you know, I'm going to be back in the NBA next year, which is where I belong. And, you know, the whole sequence of events of, you know, I, first of all, living in a foreign country, which I'd never really done. And like, you know, like, like little things you take for granted, right? Like I remember going to my apartment in Italy and like in America, like carpet, like we're sitting in this room right now, there's carpet on the floor. Italy, they don't really do the whole carpet thing like that. It's like all hardwood and tile. And so my whole apartment, even my bedroom was tile. I was like, this is weird. Like it just didn't feel like home. You know what I mean? Like you, at that point, they didn't have things like Apple TV and stuff where you could plug in and feel like you're on American TV. So like. I remember just being sitting on my computer like they had Skype at the time. That was the big deal, and being able to <laughs> and even that even people that played before me were like, "Oh, you're so lucky, you've got Skype." You know what I mean? And so <laughs> being able to call home, but like you know, we'd watch things on the computer and stuff like that. But it was just a different feel. It was a big culture shock. But like, man, like you just learn so much about yourself. Um, you know, living in a foreign country, doing different things. But the, that was a, that was a hard year from the surgery perspective. I was I was wanting to get my career off the ground. And then I had to have the injury. Um, but uh, so that kind of derailed the NBA dream. Honestly, if we're, if we're being truthful, that probably derailed it right there from the beginning. Because you NBA doesn't really – they do give older guys chances, but it's more of a – if you're going to be a developmental person like I was, it's more of a young person's league. After a certain point, it's like, okay, this isn't really our our guy, right? We want to we invest our time on somebody who's younger because you have time to, to grow. And you're what, 23? At no, this point? no. At that time, I was young because I didn't go on a mission. So right. I was. Four years in college, 22. I maybe? came when I was 17 to college. Mm. So I was I was probably 21. Mm. You know what And I mean? you're still feeling old right now because and, you're not 18? It, well, because I, I mean, like, I didn't feel like it, but I, at that point, I had damaged goods as well. Like, I had hurt my back. Like, it was like a different, like, the window kind of, like, was I totally damaged goods? Could I have done it? Sure. But like, I'm just saying that was my best chance was that time. And yeah. I had some other opportunities down the road where I was really close. So I don't want to say – To I, the NBA? Yeah. How close was it? Uh, the Sixers is when I was the closest. Um, we can talk about that. I, I went to training camp with the Sixers a couple years later. Um, and uh, that was when Doug Collins was their head coach. Andre Goodall was on the team. Uh, Drew Holiday was one of their young guys. They just drafted Evan Turner. Uh, Jason Smith, who I actually played with at Colorado State, at Colorado State he yeah. was on the team at the time. And uh, I was uh, – and this – obviously this is coming from my agent, so maybe he was lying to me, but I don't think he was. <laughs> uh, you know, I was on the short list of, of guys to make that roster. I was going to be at the very end of the bench, right? NBA teams, they carry – generally speaking, they will carry five bigs, five or six. Sometimes they'll – because you can have 15 roster spots. And so almost always they will carry – for sure five, and a lot of times they'll carry a sixth. Um, I was going to be the sixth if they carried one. But right in the middle of training camp, 
um, to, to relieve some of their salary cap situation, they did like a two-for-one trade of they traded actually away Jason Smith and somebody and they they traded away uh, a guard and a big and got back two bigs to try to relieve salary cap, which means and those those contracts were guaranteed. So that basically means they had six bigs on the roster already. I was then the odd man out. You know what I mean? And so I actually remember sitting with when they cut me at the very end. I remember actually Ed Stefanski was their GM, I, I believe at the time, and he he told me he said, "Listen, you were for most of training camp, you were." on the roster and then you know that trade happened and it didn't work out in your favor so we're sorry about that but that's just kind of the nature and it is what it is you know what i mean like you know like to, to kind of as a sign of how close i was i think they you know doug collins knew they were going to trade like cut me at some point and we had a preseason game and they started me in the preseason game against the celtics who had kg and Shaq and all these teams <laughs> so i'm guarding Shaq and kevin garnett I'm like holy crap and you know <laughs> You know what I mean? And so I was in the training room, and Doug Collins comes, hey, Trent, you're going to start tonight. And I, rem I remember Maurice Spates, who was a really funny, nice guy. He looked at me and says, you're crapping your pants right now, aren't you? I said, heck, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, I've, like, like I said, a lot of really cool memories, you know, stuff like that. Like, you know, did you I, score on those guys? Did I score? I don't even remember. I probably, maybe if I did, it was like two points. Um, trying not to get pulled I, I over remember, by Shaq. I just remember KG started like talking all kinds of crap to me. I was like, dude, like I'm a nobody. Like leave me alone. Notorious you know talker, I mean? right? Like leave me alone. Um, but yeah, I just was fighting for my life with Shaquille O'Neal and, and Kevin Garnett, and like I I remember those things. I remember like a lot about that 76ers time because like. I was I was there like they treated me great. I remember like when they did cut me. Mo Spates like was a great guy and like he said, hey, you know, give me your address. And I went home because I was gonna like I, they got I got cut and I was just gonna go to Europe somewhere else. And I remember Mo Spates sent me like five pairs of brand new shoes and sneakers and stuff. And I remember like mm. a couple years later, I went to training camp with the Clippers and Andre Gudal was on the Nuggets at the time and he came up and gave me a big hug and said, hey Trent, how's it going? Like so good to see you. You know what I mean? Like. Like, it was really cool because, like, I had a very short stint with this team a couple months, you know what I mean? But, like, you know, these are like these are guys that are, you know, Andre Gunala, he's made, shoot, hundreds of, you know, over $100 million, you know, like, playing the game. And, like, those things meant a lot to me, right? Because, you know, like, I was a nobody. Like, I'm not trying to have any kind of different assumption of who I was. I was the last guy on the bench. But, like, I was a guy that was a, always a guy that came in. I worked hard. I had a good time. I didn't, you know, I was easy to get along with. And so, like those 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 experiences, kind of, I have a lot of cool stories about that. You know what I mean? So that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so Italy doesn't work out. You get hurt early there. Do you go to Croatia the next year? <laughs> yeah. So the next year, and this is where we can tie in Chris Mercosic, which is just so cool. Yeah, I was the only guy probably in the world that saw two Chris Mercosic jersey retirings. As a matter of fact. Wow. Okay, so there was one in Croatia. Yeah. Because long story short. There's this team in Croatia, really actually a historic team in Croatia called, you know, they call it KK Zadar. I think KK stands for something in basketball in, in Croatian. And Zadar is Kresmir Chosic's hometown. So that's where he grew up. That's where he's from. Of the, one of the all-time BYU greats. Probably uh, underappreciated by our generation, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's Played one, in the 70s. And he's not only one of the all-time BYU greats. If people were actually to know Kresmir Chosic, he is like an all-time European great. So like like in Croatia, like the arena I played in was Kresmir Chosic's arena. They built a new arena. They named it after Kresmir Chosic. There's a statue of Chosic out in front of the arena. 
And so people actually kind of had a little bit of idea. I don't want to say a ton of idea, but they knew BYU because they knew Chosich, and so they knew I came from BYU. Mm. But uh, basically my agent, so it was a really good team, um, <clears throat> and it's a, a Euro Cup team, which we could talk about what that means here in a bit. But uh, my agent said, hey, there's a this team in Croatia really wants you. It's this town called Zadar. Zadar is, and if anybody's ever, you know, wants travel advice, like Croatia is an, an incredible country. It's beautiful. It's like super oh, like, sneaky, amazing, right? It's like, like no one talks about it. People it that are like good travelers know about Croatia. It's insanely beautiful. Like, like I loved Croatia. And Zadar is right on the Adriatic Sea. Like my apartment, I could look out my window and I could look at the Adriatic Sea. And it was just this most beautiful place. And it's like this vacation town. And you know, I was like, dude, like this is awesome. And he said, yeah, the coach is really good with young players. And I'm thinking that this means that this guy is like a, you know, a really supportive, you know, nurturing, <laughs> <laughs> nurturing kind of an individual. Define good. You know, I was, yeah, I should have asked that question, but like that's a, like, you know, I got agented. So he kind of smoothed, he kind of <laughs> smoothed me over a little bit there. And I said, all right, yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm, you know, I'm going to live in this beautiful town, play, you know, and, you know, Zadar, and I'm going to play for a coach that, you know, loves young players and let's go. And uh, that year was actually, I, I give the most credit to that year for everything that happened to me afterwards in basketball because the coach that I had, who actually ended up really liking me, um, was a guy named, you know, he, I thought he was the devil incarnate at the time. Um, and his name sounded like it as well. His name is Smago Sagadin. Smago Sagadin? Smago Sagadin, yeah. And he, <laughs> he was actually a really legendary coach around there. He coached, you know, national teams from Slovenia. But, man, this dude was a, like a, just a, a next-level guy, right? Like, here I am, this Utah kid. You know, I was at BYU, and Coach Rose is a pretty hardcore coach. And, like, there's rules in college where you can only practice so many hours and stuff like that. There's no rules over there mm-hmm. for that stuff. And uh, I remember going to Croatia, and I met – I was in this hotel, and I met with Smago, like, the first day I got there. I Obviously, I, the hardest thing for me is I, I went from Utah. I just got cut and went to – you know, I guess that, that this is the second year, so I maybe didn't get cut. But uh, I went over there to Croatia – and uh, I met with Smago, and, like, I am jet-lagged. Like, when you go and, like, that transition for you is always really hard because, like, you know, it's like an eight-hour difference. So I'm used to sleeping right when it's the middle of the day or whatever that was, and I hadn't slept in, like, a couple of days because I, you know, couldn't find a way to get my body to sleep. And then it got to be daytime, and my body's like, oh, it's daytime, you need to be up. And my first, you know, my first day or two there, I, I meet with Smago. He said, hey, we're going to training camp in Slovenia. We're leaving tomorrow. Uh, we have a practice tonight. Do you want to... Sh- show up i said yeah uh, yeah i'd i'd you know happy to go i was trying to make a good impression i show up and i he just was everything i did was wrong <laughs> oh no you know like wrong wrong like, you know this is that's not how you pass like every like and it was funny because when they say he was good with young players that was it he, he like as i look back on it now like he was breaking me down um because i swear on my life like like we would do these drills and I would watch the guy in front of me and I would mirror exactly what that dude did in front of me and I would do it and it would still be wrong. I was like, what the freak is going on? Like how, how is this, you know, and I'm thinking I'm a pretty big time guy. Like I'm, you know, getting paid a lot of money. I'm, a, you know, and like he just, like was just going at me every single day. And so 
then we go to Slovenia to training camp. But the NBA is like nothing because they have like rules and like a collective bargaining thing and all that stuff. <laughs> the players, have, you know, I mean, yeah. like they think it's hard, but like you go to Europe and you play for a Serbian guy, which is or a Yugo guy, like. Anybody that's played in Europe knows if you play for a coach that's part of the former Yugoslavia, which Smago was, Yugoslavia consisted of like Serbia, Croatia, Bosnia, Slovenia. Then it all broke up and all that stuff. So Smago is considered a Yugo coach. It's a really hardcore coach. You go play for a Yugo guy and it's a, it's a whole different world. So we go to Slovenia. We would, we would practice. We would wake up in the morning. And you always knew if a practice was going to be a little bit lighter because they'd say, okay, you don't have to tape your ankles. With Smago, every practice was the taped ankles practice. And we would practice for like two and a half, three hours in the morning. We'd go do some recovery. And keep in mind, I'm not really sleeping that well at this time. And mm -hmm. we're in this hotel. And the hotel doesn't have air conditioning because it's Slovenia. It's not really that hot. But that happened to be the freaking hottest week of the year, right? <laughs> and I've got my European roommate named Marco Carr. He's a really cool guy, but like... Anyways, I'm not sleeping. I'm going, Smago's yelling at me. I'm feeling like I'm, you know, at my wit's end. I remember freaking calling my mom just in tears. Like, mom, dad, like, I can't do this. Like, this is, this is nuts, right? Like, this guy is just, this is not what I thought. This was, I thought I was going to come to this nice nurturing environment of like, you know, <laughs> and this dude is just going at me. Everything I do is wrong. Like, we'd watch film and it'd all be about me and how terrible I was and blah, 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 blah. And, uh. And I, and I just remember talking to my mom, you know, in typical mom fashion, she was saying stuff like, well, are you saying your prayers every day and reading your scriptures? And, and obviously that's very important. I don't want to diminish that. And I was, but it wasn't really what the message I wanted from my mom. <laughs> I wanted, and my dad, I just remember my dad saying, Trent, listen, I know this is really hard. And, and, and my mom was like, Trent, if you want to come home, like, like, no worries. Like, you don't have to be a basketball player. But I, I had kind of had this, I I wanted to be one. I was like, like it was a real breaking point for me. I remember my dad saying something. That's quite like, the challenging statement. Yeah. From your mom. Ah, if you don't want to be a basketball yeah. player, and you're like, I do. Yeah, but like I I can't quit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like like I didn't want to quit, but I also didn't want to do what I was doing because like this is crazy. And I think there's so many people that you know, like if we're gonna get real philosophical, like how many people does that happen to in life where you have that kind of. Mm -hmm crossroads moment of like you want you know you want to do something you don't necessarily realize how hard it's going to be and then yes. like reality hits you and so like that crossroads moment and i remember my dad at that moment like and, and i'm calling them and keep in mind like the situation where i'm calling them i am so hot and sweaty at night like what happened is like the air conditioner like the the hall seemed to be air conditioned and so there's like a little crack underneath the door at the front of your your hotel room Right. And so what I did, I took all my freaking blankets and stuff off the bed because I didn't want to wake up my roommate either. And I put my stuff right by the crack in the door at the very front of the hotel room so I could get some airflow underneath the door to make it a little bit, you know, better. <laughs> You're this professional basketball player yeah, begging I, for air under a door. I know. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and I get this is the thing is, it's a nice hotel. It just, you know, it's like California. You live in California, you never think you need air conditioning except for that one, one week of the year or whatever. It gets really hot. But, um, and I didn't want to disturb my roommate who was trying to sleep, you know, and, uh, I call my mom and I'm, you know, like in tears on the phone. And then my dad tells me at that point, he says, Trent, listen, I know it's really hard, but you could do anything for a month. You could do anything for a week. So just do it for a week, see how you feel. And so what happened is I just so I, I just started setting goals of like, okay, this is, you know, this is at this point I'm like a week into this thing. Okay, I got like I'm gonna make it through the end of this week, end of this practice. And I remember 
you know, making it through that whole training camp thing. And that was, man, that was such a huge accomplishment of my life was just making it through training camp. And then, you know, the year continued to progress and it, it didn't get any easier because Smago was just a, a lunatic. Like we would do crazy things, you know, like we would like, like I think about it and like we would practice like, like five, six hours a day. And like, at the time, like, I was like, this is so nuts because in college we practiced hard, but it was like, what, two hours a day? You know, as a pro, we were practicing five, six hours a day, traveling all over Europe, you know, playing, you know, we played probably 50, 60 games that year. And like, we would not, we'd have like one day off, maybe, if it worked out well. But like, a week? Yeah. Like, it, that's if the schedule allowed for it. You know what I mean? And, uh, and like we like and like we were lifting weights, but I just remember like as I look, like I said, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. But in retrospect, like I got so much better. Like I was like I remember coming back actually after that whole year, which we could talk about that year more. I remember coming back and working out with the BYU team, which Lee and Lee had stayed that senior year of ours. And I remember working out with them in the summer because it was just an easy way. I, I had a good relationship with the strength coaches. And I remember like going and doing conditioning drills and like lifting drills that I always did in college. And I lined up with the college team. And I remember like doing conditioning and just like literally like I was like a thoroughbred and they were like ants. Like I just was like going. And up. you're six eleven, like two forty five yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and at the and I got to the point where I was like probably two fifty. And like mm. it wasn't because, you know, it was just because they worked I had I had been conditioned like so incredibly well by the what they put me through. Like hmm. that Yugo school of basketball is one of those things where you either break or you come out like like iron strong. And I was very, very fortunate because I, I don't disrespect anybody who breaks, just so you know, because they, they have every right to break in that scenario. Um, for whatever reason, I, I made it through. And and I just came back and like that whole thing defined the rest of my time in Europe because after Smago, like it wasn't gonna get any harder. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't. And so I would go to teams and like, yeah, people have things harder or this or that, but like no one treated me like Smago treated me. And, uh, and the thing that's funny about that is after that year, Smago actually got fired partway almost three quarters of the way through the year because we we you know our, we had a big budget and we had expectations and i could talk i could tell you stories for hours and hours about all my european experiences but he went to another team the next year and he actually wanted to sign me to the the next team that's how i that's how i knew that was like my validation i knew mm-hmm. i knew smago liked me because like, like and i had a friend that he's I he's great made. with young players yeah that's right <laughs> And I actually had a friend that I made over that played for Smago. His name is Emilio Kovacevic. He he always would tell me Smago really likes you. And I was like, he's got a really funny freaking way of showing it because he would just like he would just go at me. And like all my teammates would always tell me Smago likes you. Smago likes you. He was like, what are you talking about? I speak words. <laughs> I receive words of affirmation. Like I this, need this like, love language. Know, this guy, like because every day he really was. He would he would just go at me every day. And, oh yeah, you gotta worry when it was one of those things where it was like. You gotta worry when the coach doesn't yell at you. It's like that would be so awesome if this dude <laughs> would just like lay off of me for like a day, but it just never happened. And mm. uh, and what's crazy about that is after that year, I could have I could have gone to some really big European teams. Like I really could have gone to some really big European teams. I turned down a, a number of offers because I wanted to go give a, the NBA another crack. But uh, 
but yeah, I, I give Smago a lot of credit for what happened to me. Like I, that was a really hard time, but uh, that was a really, a really rewarding time for me as well. So that was, that was a really cool year. You didn't go on a mission, but that was your mission experience. You just described what I felt in my first couple areas. Yeah. It's hot. I don't know what's going on yeah. here. The work is difficult. I'm with somebody I don't know. You know, yeah. I'm get like that's what it's like, dude. Um, and crying, um, yeah. trying to deal with it, like yeah. all those things, Trent. Absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm that's not a trying, hard experience. I don't want to diminish your mission experience, but if you had Smago running you to death, <laughs> you yeah. physically not the same. <laughs> you yeah. would have been. Yes, but no, I agree. I I, I do think there are like parallels. I'm in another place. Yes. I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, no, for yeah. sure. Yeah, my lungs were not. Uh, you know. Receiving the same amount of resistance as yours, <laughs> exactly. Okay, tell me more about, you said you were at a Kresmer Chosich Jersey retirement in Zadar. Yeah. so Because I'm obsessed with Kresh. I just think so highly of him. Yeah, yeah, me too. And uh, so like I said, he, he grew up in Zadar. Uh, Zadar had just built this beautiful new arena that was called Kresmer Chosich Arena. You could Google it and look it up and see what it looks like. They had planned this other arena that's is kind of historical, but uh, they were you know basically christening this new arena. And uh, obviously, the first person you're going to retire their jersey is the person who you named the building after. And so we were playing our rival, which was Sabona, um, which was there's two really big teams at, at that time in Croatia, it was Zadar and Sabona, which were bitter rivals. Um, people may know of Drazen Petrovic. Drazen Petrovic grew up with Sabona. Like that mm. arena is named after him, Zadar is named after Chosic. And so go watch the 30 for 30 doc. What is yeah. it? Called? Is it called two brothers? I think. Yes. Yeah. That's really. About good. Him, that's about him and Vladi, right? The draws yeah. and Vladi. Yeah. So we were playing our rival and they did this retirement ceremony for, for Chosic and people, you know, people in Croatia, people in Zadar, people in Croatia, people in Europe, you know, just love Chris Chosic because he was really a historical figure for European basketball. And uh, I was there, and his, you know, his family was there. Like I didn't understand a word that was going on, obviously, because it was all in Croatian. But I just remember thinking to myself, I was at his retirement at BYU, and now I'm here at this arena too. Like this, there's no one else has done this but me. In no the way. So, That's other than his family, which I'm right. sure was was there. That's amazing. So yeah, it was, it was a pretty it was a pretty cool thing to have that connection because people would talk to me about it. Like it was, it was a, a really cool scenario. That's amazing. If I ever have any crush questions, now I know I can talk to you about this because I didn't realize oh. you played for Zadar, dude. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. Okay, so in our final couple of minutes here, walk me through the next rest of your life because I'm seeing Lithuania, Ukraine, Turkey, France, Germany, Japan. That's quite the journey. Have you oh, been to yeah. every continent? Have you been to Africa? I have not been to Africa. So Africa and uh, actually, Antarctica. That's it. South America I never actually went to, so I wouldn't count South America either. But uh, – Okay, so merely four continents. Yes, <laughs> but but yeah. So the rest of my career, I mean, obviously that I give Zadar a ton of credit for for everything, but uh, that set the stage for for everything else for me. And so I, I was very fortunate because Zadar was a good team. It was a uh, it was a what we call a Euro Cup team. I played in the Euro League, which is kind of where that's the highest level of European basketball for a couple of years. That's like yeah, if you're a soccer fan, it's like Champions. It's League. It's like Champions League. Yep. Right, so yeah. like like the Brandon Davies, the Travis Hansons, and like Elijah, they play for like the Boston Celtics and the LA Lakers of the Euro League. I mm-hmm. played for what's the worst NBA franchise or like the mo- lowest money? Like I would I would normally say the Phoenix Suns, but the Phoenix Suns now are really they're good, good again, right? Like the Sac- I played for the Sacramento Kings, the Sacramento's perfect of the Euro League. Yes, right, which was 
you know, obviously it's one of the best teams in Europe because you're you're in the league, but you're not one of the best teams in the the Euro League, mm-hmm. right? Like the Kings would yeah. uh, probably win the Euro League. Yes, but in the NBA, no. Yes, yeah, that's right. Gotcha. So, so, so I played for really good teams, like really high level teams in Europe, but not at that real pinnacle, like which the Travis Hansons, Elijahs, and and you know Brandon plays at, and. Uh, I, it all came from that first year in Zadar because I had a really good year. Even despite it all, like I, I had offers from really great teams after that because I had kind of gotten that stamp of approval from a Yugo coach, which like once you survive a Yugo coach that's known to be hard, like other Yugo coaches are like, okay, I could I could actually coach this guy. Interesting. Because you'll, you'll find if you know European basketball, like it's almost like Yugo coaches look for other – players that have played for previous because they know like they could take it you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i'd kind of gotten that stamp of approval so i i got to go play for some really good some really good teams around europe um i was fortunate to i've been to you know what almost 30 countries because what would happen is, wow. is even though i've lived in eight so i would play in like the euro league right and what would happen is, is you would go one game a week you would play in like your domestic league so i played for the euro league in france i'd play a french team one game in the in the in the middle of the week, I'd go play in the Euroleague, which I'd be the best team from from Greece, from Italy, from Spain, from wherever else, and we'd tra- we'd have home and away games. So I traveled all over Europe playing basketball games, you know, against really good teams in these crazy environments. It's not like you know the United States where people are you know you know BYU is cool and all like they get really rowdy and it's crazy environment which I love, but. A little bit different when people like are smoking in the stands. They have flares and they're blowing these horns, these big flags, and they're beating drums <laughs> and like you know, people are throwing stuff at you. That's why you have those shields that kind of cover you. That like cause if you're at a visiting arena, you know what I mean. Like 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 when I played in Croatia, right? We would go to Serbia and play against you know these really big teams in Serbia, and they hated us because that you know there's a civil war between you know Croatia and Serbia, and I remember like. I remember like these Serbian teams would chant Serbia, Serbia, because like like and we would have a police escort right when we crossed the border. You know what I mean? So did you ever feel uh, like you were in danger in any of those moments? <laughs> Me, no, I never. Like my mom thought I was in in peril all the time, but uh, <laughs> I never ever felt like that. I mean, I just never mm. did. And like that's and I you know kind of bring things full circle. Like it was wild. I look back on it. Was I in danger? I, I don't. I never felt like I was. Um, Maybe I was. I, I never felt like it. I'm a pretty big guy. I don't really get intimidated like that. Um, but even so, but like I, I, what's crazy about to me is like even though I was in some hostile situations from a basketball perspective, like my my life situation, my interactions with people were always wonderful. I mean, people in Croatia were amazing. People in Japan were the the nicest people I met. People in Germany, people in like, you know, I played in Turkey, which is predominantly Muslim. These are wonderful, nice people. You know what I mean? And, like, I, I thought about the, my perspective of how that opened my eyes. Like, everybody has a family. Everybody wants, you know, the best for their kids. Everybody wants good things, you know, for their family, for their peers, for their friends. It doesn't matter if you're Muslim. It doesn't matter if you're Buddhist. It doesn't matter. And I and there's all these narratives, I feel like, all the time, you know, like, in our country about, like, oh, you know, like, just a lot of like hostility is like, man, mm-hmm. like if, if you met half the people in the world, which I, ha- I haven't met half the people, I've been to different countries, like you would quickly realize like there's really great people everywhere that are all just doing their best to raise a family and teach them right from wrong. And, you know, like there's not, there's not to be this 
it's really hardcore narrative against anybody. You know what I mean? Like, and that's what I am the most grateful for about my life is that I had that. Cause like when I was my, my first year in Italy, like I was pretty convinced that America was the supreme. And I think America is the best country in the world. I'm not trying to diminish that, but like I was pretty convinced that everything American was the best there is. Everything anywhere else was the worst there is. And it didn't matter what it was. And, mm-hmm. I, and throughout the course of my life and the course of my basketball career, I realized very, very quickly that that wasn't true, that there were things that other people did way better than I feel like America does or that, you know, that I had a, a knowledge of. And like just my, my perspective of everything was just so different. And I, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for that journey I took. I did it for 10 years. You know, and I lived in all these cool places and, and it was just a really, really cool, cool, unique experience for me. Did your wife go with you? Did you have kids at any point there? Yeah. Because every international player, it's like, okay, do you go for the time of the season, come back? Like that, That's something families have to navigate, don't they? Yeah. So so I can talk about that real quick. So the wife I had in college, uh, we actually ended up getting divorced um, during my career. Uh, it was really hard. It was, it was a hard thing for her. I, I don't want to speak for her or anything like that, but uh, it didn't work out. So for the most part, after that season in Croatia is when her and I actually separated. And so for the most part, I was actually by myself for the, the majority of the time. And then towards the latter end of my career, uh, my wife, um, my, uh, my wife now who I, I love incredibly much, like for somehow, like I was pretty convinced that while I was playing basketball, I, was, I wasn't going to get married. I was like, this is too hard. Mm-hmm. This is a challenge. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get married. And I, I dated my wife for a couple of years and you know thank goodness to her because I'll be honest like I was not the best guy to date because like I'd, I'd come home and we'd date and I'd say all right see I'm going you know best of luck I'm going to play you know what I mean like you know and she she stuck by me and like I, I even told her like I you know I, I listen I've I had not the best experience with this like I don't want to do this this is too hard of a life and uh you know she stuck with me and, and eventually I realized like, what are you doing? You're an idiot. Like, why are you not marrying this girl? Like yesterday. And I, I, it was actually a conversation my dad had with me. Like, what are you doing? And my dad's had some pretty poignant (laughs) conversations with me. And I was like, yeah, this is crazy. And so we got married like the last, uh, three years of my career. So the first couple I was married, then it was like five, six where I wasn't. And then the last three, uh, I was married to my wife now, Marissa, who is, you know, kind of the light of my life. And at the end of it, we had our first kid, our first child, who was Peyton, who uh, was born when I was playing in a, a, a team in Germany. And then Peyton was with us in, at the end of my career in Japan. And that's ultimately, like, I could, have, I could have played longer if I wanted to, but I played for 10 years. You know, it's a hard life. It's a hard life to, you know, I'm traveling all the time. Your wife is there with your child in a foreign country away from her family. And the sacrifices that she made um, to be there with me and support me. And it was just like, it was time to be done. So, uh, and I don't regret that at all. I had an amazing career of 10 years. Like, you know, most people don't play professional sports for 10 years and I did. So uh, she was with me every step of the way and uh, while, while she was there and she still is. So that's kind of that situation. And, uh, it's a it's a it's a lot to navigate, right? Like it's a lot to navigate the family aspect, the foreign country aspect. You're having kids. You're in a you're you know different languages, like a, just a totally different living environment. You know, what I mean, we've got this, we got a, a real beautiful home here, and like, hey, like come live in this. And, you know, the apartments were nice, but they weren't like immaculate. You know, not like we have here. And so, so yeah, it was a 
a lot, a lot that went on, but uh, so thankful for it. Like it, it really has, like it's my perspective on just everything has been altered because of that European basketball career. So, so maybe I do take it a little bit personal when people say, you know, all oh, these European guys are failures. I, I don't, I never see it that way um, because I know what it gave me. I know what I got out of it. And uh, I feel very, very blessed to have lived that experience. So that that's kind of the way I feel about it. That's awesome, man. And uh, I'm jealous of lo- moving all over to some degree. Yeah. That's a challenge, but like the experience you got from that, how that molded you is super cool. I'd be remiss if I didn't finish with this. There's a dunk that's considered one of the best in BYU history, and hardly anyone's seen it. Yeah. And it was from you. Describe yeah. to us the CSU alley-oop from what, half court from, yeah, from Austin, Austin Ainge? Ainge. They, this game wasn't televised, right? This was the issue? Yeah, it wasn't. Because that was back, I mean, I don't. Like the mountain days. Yeah, and, the mountain yeah. was a horrible deal. <laughs> like You don't have to. You're preaching to the choir here. I don't. I mean, like at that time, they had like, the mountain was just a terrible TV network. It really was. And, and maybe they're going to you know, send me a cease and desist or something after this. They don't exist. They don't exist. <laughs> yeah. But like they were just a, it a terrible network. They had problems with broadcasting. They had horrible nicknames for people. They called me Mister P, which was like, what a like, <laughs> is this, what the freak is that? You're like, what is this elementary? But school? yeah, but that one wasn't televised. I and uh, we were playing CSU, which at the time, you know, they weren't a, a, a top flight team in our conference, but they had good players like Jason Smith, who was a, actually a friend who had a great NBA career. Uh, they had these seven footers, and and we were playing there at uh, Fort Collins and. We were on a fast break, and uh, one of my, of all my things as a basketball player, I was not the most skilled player at BYU ever. Um, I was probably one of the better athletes around at, in my time at BYU. Agreed. You know, like, I was very raw, but I was very, very athletic. And so, you know, Austin threw a ball up there, and, you know, once it's like a target, right? Like, I knew it was high. I was just, okay, I'm going to jump as high as I can, and, like, it, it's one of those, like, I don't want to say out-of-body experiences because that wasn't it, but just, like, it just happened. I, I thought it was normal, and then everybody's asking me these questions after the game of, like, that was the most incredible thing I've ever seen, and blah, 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 that, like, the dunk, and blah, blah. I was like, really? Like, cool, I'm glad. <laughs> you know, like, it was just a ball. I went and got it, and I smashed it. I just, like, it was an instinct. Was it, like, high, upper left, backboard? Yeah, you grab so, it with your left hand, your left hand. I'm left-handed. So the, the problem was it was high. It was really high. And so what happened is I had to cock my hand. I had to go up high and get it, but I also I had to cock it way back. Because he throws it from, like, half court. Yeah. And so I, I, was, I had it right, way back here. You're demonstrating right and now. I can I, see. Yeah. And yep. then I had to actually put it in the rim somehow. And it all happened really quick. And obviously when you see it on – Film. It's hard it, to find. It, it's it's game film, yeah. which is terrible. There's probably our man, our student manager is probably up there with his little camcorder, <laughs> going back and forth. And so, to me, when I watch it, like people made a huge deal out of it. And I remember Gregor Bell just going freaking bananas. If you hear the call, I didn't yeah. hear it at the time, but I've I've heard the call. Um, but to me, it doesn't look like it's all that great. But it, it, it you know, the people that saw it say it was like. Uh, there was a, a media guy, you know, Brett Brett Pine. Mm-hmm. Yep. He, he, used he was the uh, yeah. sports information director. At the he, time. he used an analogy one time of saying, like, it's if you saw, it's like the difference of, I don't know, taking a Polaroid to the most beautiful girl in the world or seeing her live in person. 
right, would be mm-hmm. the analogy he used. The difference. Said, okay, well, there you go. I don't know if that was the most beautiful girl in the world, <laughs> kind of a dunk, but it was a good dunk. So, but yeah, that was a cool thing. Uh, it's this like mythical play in yeah. history because it wasn't on TV. Yeah. It's almost more interesting because we don't have video. And what's cool about it is like, the, I, I know it was pretty good because like when I was at Zadar, I was, I've got some of the best dunks in history at Zadar where they, I get, I get messages on, from fans on Facebook about those things and like the That's best. Awesome. So like it's, it's, I've got some decent dunks in my time. Couldn't shoot free throws for my life, but I could dunk the heck out of the ball. So you went just, eight for eight against TCU in that cup. Yeah, I did. Let's not yeah, forget I did. that. Okay. Well, Trent, this was fun, man. Yeah. Uh, appreciate you coming in and chatting about your career. It's been fun to catch up, uh, all these years, I know you're still local, which is awesome, and uh, still part of the community, still tweeting about BYU sports, uh, which yeah. is awesome. So uh, follow Trent on uh, Twitter at T P L A I S T four four. Yeah, I only tweet every once in a while. It's uh, a, <laughs> it's uh, even a broken clock is right once or twice a day. So I, you'll get maybe one to two tweets out of me a year if something I feel. I tweet a lot more when Coach Rose is around because I felt a lot of allegiance. Now it's more about the women's team because I've got such a close uh, relation to Lee. Yeah, and they're crushing it this year. Yeah, they're amazing. So good. Thanks for the time, man. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Okay, that'll do it for us. Listen to previous episodes on the BYU Radio app or where podcasts are found. For Trent Playstead and producer Corbin Radford, I'm Jerem Jordan. You've just listened to Deep Blue on BYU Radio.